Our reading this evening is taken from John's Gospel, chapter 1, and starting at verse 43. And it's entitled, Jesus Calls Philip and Nathaniel. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the, from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Have you um, ever been involved in one of those discussions um, about ideal dinner guests for one of those parties, you know, dinner party? If you could have anyone from the past or present, who would you want there? From where might you uh, gather these people? Stage, screen, politics, royal court, elsewhere? Some people on um, streets were asked the same question, and uh, these were their responses. Who would I share the evening with back in time? Humphrey Littleton, I think, and uh, Brigitte Bardot in her prime. <laughs> Michael Jackson. Winston Churchill. Grace uh, Keeley gets a visit. You know, Megan uh, Good. Eddie Murphy, because I know Eddie Murphy. <laughs> Eddie Murphy! Because he made me laugh. Cleopatra, I think, and uh, my grandmother, I think they get on famously, and um, who else would I like to Oscar Wilde? Probably some scientist or someone like that, maybe. Um, Einstein would be a good bloke, wouldn't he? Stephen Hawking. I don't know, to be honest. <laughs> I wouldn't mind sharing it with some of my ancestors that I've never met. So... Now, I hope with uh, some of those names, you're a bit like me. We're thinking, who? <laughs> I didn't recognise all of them. I had to look some of them up. Or really, uh, all the people you could choose from the whole of time and you want to spend time with them. I suspect we would have as many different selections as there are people here. But then the ideal guest is such a difficult thing to define. We'll all have our own criteria, just as we might when 
trying to decide on the perfect man. According to commercials, the perfect man would have a particular physique that would conform to a, a certain uh, type. Or maybe the perfect man could be, have certain qualities, certain personality traits, like being particularly sensitive. Or others might think of the perfect man as courageous, a hero, like a, a soldier or a firefighter. But how many people would think of Jesus as the perfect man? Now, throughout this service, we've been praising God and hailing Jesus as the ideal. How could Jesus be the ideal man? What's the criteria? In our passage of scripture, we read earlier from John's Gospel, we have two men who meet Jesus for the first time, Philip and Nathaniel. Now, in terms of context for this passage, it comes on the fourth day of Jesus' first week of ministry. He's decided to go to Galilee, a province in the north of Israel, but up to this point, he's been further south on the banks of the Jordan River, where John the Baptist had been baptising. Jesus has already met and called his first two disciples there, Andrew and Peter, who incidentally share the same hometown as our Philip in this passage. There really isn't much exchange recorded between Jesus and Philip, except that Jesus said, follow me. We find it in verse 43. It would seem that Philip thought Jesus the ideal man to follow because he does so unreservedly. He does so with exuberance and such enthusiasm, he cannot but wait to encourage others to meet with this man. For Philip, it may have been Jesus's sheer charisma that drew him. There's a story you may or may not know of three prospectors who found a rich vein of gold in California during the gold rush days they realised what a great discovery they had and decided, we've got a really good, good thing going here, as long as no one else finds out about it. So they each took a vow to keep it secret. Then they headed for town to file their claims and get the equipment necessary to mine the gold. True to their vows, they didn't say a word to anybody. They filed their claim, bought their equipment and headed back to their mine. But when they did, a crowd of people followed them. And the reason was simply because the, the expression on their faces had given them away. Their faces were aglow in anticipation of the wealth that soon would be theirs. People knew they must have found something very special. And they were attracted to it. And so the crowd followed them out of town. Philip clearly found there was something special about Jesus and felt compelled to follow him. There's something about Jesus that those who meet with him experience something different, something worthwhile, something of supreme and true value, more than any gold mine could hope to offer, but we'll come to that. So as I said, the impact this guy Jesus has on Philip is that he seeks out another, in this case, Nathaniel, to encourage him with his good news about having met Jesus. He says he has met, as we read in verse 45, the one Moses wrote about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So not only is Jesus the ideal to follow, but also is ideal as he fulfills God's promises 
Throughout history, prior to this moment, God had promised one who would come and save people so that they might once again be in relationship with him and be at peace. For Nathaniel, this would have been so important. He was a diligent Jew, a man of God. If the saviour were to come, he would have to tick the Messiah boxes, one of which was that he came from the house and line of David, born in Bethlehem. So before Nathaniel had actually met with Jesus, he had his own cynical questions. Verse 46, in answer to Philip, who says that he's met with the ideal, met with Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, Nathaniel retorts. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Can it come from there? I find this point quite interesting. As all too often today, like Nathaniel, rather than think Jesus the ideal, we can be pretty cynical about Jesus and pretty ignorant too. I can't tell you how many times I've had to explain to students I teach the historical certainty of Jesus having lived under Roman rule in Palestine and died by their hand on the cross, that Jesus was a real person, as we found and were reminded of this morning. They casually dismiss him before knowing the truth, before making any effort to find out why millions of people in the past and still today think that Jesus, the ideal man, worth following. To be fair on Nathaniel, what Philip told him wasn't entirely accurate. Jesus was not of Nazareth. He was of Bethlehem. And Joseph was only his supposed father. Jesus actually did meet the Jewish criteria of the ideal. It's just that Nathaniel didn't know it yet. Jesus is, as Paul wrote to explain to the Colossians, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, before all things, and held together by him and reconciled to God by his death so that we might stand before God blemish-free. Jesus matters not just because he's the ideal to follow, but he ticks all the boxes for what we all need to know God through his saving work. What I like about Philip is that rather than get into an argument, which he couldn't really see through, see his way through, he simply exalts Nathaniel to meet and experience Jesus for himself. Come and see. It's a kind of, well, don't take my word for it. Meet with him and then, then you can tell me that I'm wrong. As Nathaniel approaches Jesus, the latter says, obviously, within his earshot, verse 48, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. Nathaniel, whilst perhaps cynical, is a genuine man of God, a sincere man of faith with integrity. Not only is this shown to us by Christ's words, but actually the very fact he was willing to leave whatever he was doing and go with Philip, even if his idea did seem half-baked. It was worth making the effort just to be sure that this man who he'd been told about was definitely not the ideal that he'd so keenly anticipated. He'd sleep more easily knowing that he himself had been able to rule this guy out, absolutely. Having met him personally, he could be confidently sure. So he's rather taken aback by Jesus' comments on him. He's not puffed up with pride. He simply wants to know, how do you know me? This leads me to ask the question, well, where's the ideal to be found? It's only by spending time with this passage 
and uh, actually taking a closer look, I realized something very obvious. When it comes to finding Jesus, the ideal, we often get it the wrong way around. Philip didn't find Jesus. Jesus found him. The realisation of this kind of reminded me of a, a sort of a, a moment, bulb, light bulb moment for me on the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, on one of the titles, which I'd never noticed to be odd, The Horse and His Boy. It wasn't until actually I was an adult that I actually noticed that it was an odd way round and that for most people, convention would say it's the boy and his horse. And uh, Lewis clearly reverses the title so that it, it says something really powerful. You'll have to read the book to know what. But my point is, we do have a tendency to get things the wrong way around. We tend to think that if, if, we, if we work hard enough at it and search hard and go on this great quest, if we do it long, for long enough, Jesus might be found. The thing is that whilst both Philip and Nathaniel think they've found Jesus, it's actually he who has found them. Verse 43 reads, Finding Philip, he said to him. It's quite clear that it's Jesus that seeks out Philip. But what about Nathaniel? Surely it's he that finds Jesus, because he's the one that's dragged along by, by Philip. Philip says to Nathaniel, come and see, and he does. The Greek used here for see is, as you might expect, referring to seeing with the eyes. You know, so come and see Jesus for yourself. But Jesus uses a quite different verb. When we read in verse 47, when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, and in verse 48... I saw you while you were still under the fig tree. Both of these is a different Greek word from the one used by Philip. Jesus is referring to not a physical sight, but spiritual perception. He saw into Nathanael's heart and recognized him for who he truly was, a true Israelite. And it also infers that he knew him even before the encounter at that moment. He says he saw Nathanael under the fig tree before Philip called him. Now, the full meaning of a fig tree escapes us, if we're absolutely honest. But, in some sense, what matters more is the response um, rather than the actual possible explanations for that. But there are a number of ideas about it. Nathaniel could have been taken aback by Jesus' response, perhaps because he was literally having a quiet moment of stillness and time with God before Philip called him, and somehow Jesus knew. Most scholars seem to point to the idea that in Hebrew writings, the fig tree was seen as a symbol of messianic peace. Micah 4, verse 4, when the writer is talking about the last days, reads, Every man will sit under his own vine and under his own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid. And also in Zechariah 3, verse 10, in that day, each of you will invite his neighbour to sit under his vine and fig tree. It was a symbol of living in the peace and blessing which an obedient relationship with God provides. So how was it that Nathaniel makes such a profession of faith to Jesus after having been so reluctant? His heart had already been prepared. Jesus had already had a hand on Nathaniel's life. 
He knew already that Nathaniel was in an obedient relationship with God. Nathaniel could have been responding to Jesus' understanding and knowledge of him, because Jesus knew him like no other. Jesus had chosen him. As Paul wrote to the Ephesians, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Nathaniel already was living a godly life. He saw that with Jesus, there could be so much more. Jesus is the ideal not only because of who he is, the only one worth following, the one who actually fulfills and keeps all promises and knows us better than we know ourselves, but for the ideal way in which he deals with us. He knows our folly, our tendency to cynicism, doubt and disobedience, and so makes the first move. He finds us. He chose you. Despite what others might uh, say about you, Jesus loves you. Always has. Always will. So how do we respond to this ideal? Because respond we must. To not respond is a response in itself. Philip felt immediately compelled to tell others about Jesus. Well, there's a challenge there straight away. He met with Jesus and he wanted others to meet with him. May God forgive us for our lack of zeal and reignite that passion for him and not simply say he's our ideal, but live it. We can also be encouraged, well I was anyway, that despite Philip, Nathan came to know Jesus. Not because Philip was theologically correct and had all the answers, but because he was passionate for Christ. We can also be encouraged that Jesus first finds us. He knows us and he loves us anyway. I think the ideal Jesus also calls for a little bit of honesty. Are we inclined to a bit of ignorant cynicism? Do we rule Jesus out before we've made any sort of effort to be sure that this is all bunkum? If this is you, I really would encourage you to sign up to the Alpha course that's starting in September. It's a chance for you to find out about Jesus, to ask your questions about who he is and why some people might call him their ideal, the person that matters most to them in all their lives. You don't want to dismiss something without having first found out what it actually is and has to offer, do you? At the end of the passage, Jesus says to Nathanael, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. Of course, Nathanael did go on to see Jesus doing, excuse me, Jesus doing amazing things. Miracles, lives transformed. Jesus then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The you used by Jesus with you shall see heaven open is in the plural. This is a promise not just to Nathaniel. It could be a reference to the second coming or could quite easily speak of the way in which it is through Jesus as our mediator we may be in God's presence. 
It is through Jesus that we see heaven open. Jesus matters because he's the ideal. He's the only perfect one able to bring us into relationship with God, to open the doors of heaven for us. When we, like Philip and Nathaniel, accept Jesus as the ideal in our lives, whatever our experience or understanding of Jesus has been whilst here in this world, how much more in the next? <laughs>